0: And also good morning to those listening online, wherever you are around the world. It's good to see you from Russia to America to Spain to Mexico and uh, South Africa too, for some reason, which is good. (laughs) They need it over there. (laughs) So today I'm going to start a new series called Text Messages. And I want you to take out your pens because we're going to go through a lot of stuff today to help you. Before I even start, if somebody at work or somebody at university was to say to you, why do you trust the Bible? Isn't it just written by a whole bunch of men? And how do we even know what that they wrote was actually what they saw? How do we, How? what you tell me right now, or your kids say to me, or your your grandkids, daddy or mummy or daddy, why do you trust the Bible? What would you say? Would you feel a little pressured? Well, I'm going to give you seven reasons today with a bit of background. So my suggestion to you is if you can't answer that question crisply that you may want to take a few of these and whatever impresses you and your mind, write those things down because we find that if we write things down we tend to remember a lot more clearly especially when we're under the gun. So today, I'm going to talk about why can I trust the Bible. Now, the Bible is the most translated book in history by none. It is a bestseller in the world. Why is it called the Word of God? And by the way, how do we know it is the Word of God? And we're going to look at that today. And the scripture that Kimberly just read, I want to start with again and clarify our minds on. All scripture. Is God-breed, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, notice a couple of things about that verse. All scripture is God-breed. We call it inspired. Okay, it's inspired. And what does it actually mean? It means it's inspired by God, which means it was written, men wrote. Men actually wrote God's words. That's what inspiration means. They accurately recorded what he wanted us to know. And as a result of this, Psalm 119 verse 86 says this, All your commands can be trusted. Now it's one thing to claim that, that the Bible is the word of God and can be trusted. But how do I know it is the word of God and it can be trusted? How do I know? It's a legitimate question. How do I know I can trust the Bible? Now, even secular sources like the Time Magazine—they thought it was very important to look at these questions. And as you can see there on your outline, it shows you that up here, you know, how true is the Bible? They're asking those questions. Over this side, is the Bible fact or fiction? People are asking those questions. People at your work will ask those questions. People at school will ask those questions. So this morning what I want to do, I want to, I want to give you a very brief pricey on some of the facts, some of the evidences, and some of the proofs that you need to know. Even Jesus used this approach. He said, if you don't believe just because of what I'm saying, believe what I do. Here's the evidence. Here's the evidence. When John was in jail, disciples came along to John, Well, and they said, are you the real Christ, or should we look for somebody else? He said, well, just tell them what you see happening. Here's the evidence. Some people have got that a little wrong. They think that's not needed. It actually, Paul mentioned that a lot as well too. So, so, you or your friends, the reason why this is important, can make up your own minds not based on what others have said, but what the Bible says for itself, what history says, what science says, and teaches us about the Bible. So how do you know I can trust the Bible? Seven reasons. The first reason is because it is historically accurate. That's important to know. It is historically accurate. And for that reason I know I can trust the Bible. Not just because what it says about doctrine or morals or religion or philosophy, but it's true historically. What that means is there are real people and they are real places. When the Bible talks about a particular group of people, they existed. And I'm going to show you some of that soon. And by the way, one of the reasons for that is the Bible tells us God cannot lie. Why can't God lie? Because one of the definitions or attributes of God is that he is truth. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie because it would be contradictory to his nature. The only reason the universe works is because God is truth and consistent. And truth doesn't change. Remember that. Truth does not change. Imagine, for example, if the laws of gravity were to only work on Monday and Wednesday. Or they were sporadic at the best. Or the laws of physics. See, the laws of physics are true and constant. Don't change because he thought them up. The laws of mathematics and the laws of logic do not change. Therefore, the word of God, the word of the Lord is right and true. Psalm Psalm 33 verse 4. That's not only right and true about salvation, but it's right and true about history. Now, how do you test if something is historically accurate in the Bible? Well, it's exactly the same way that you know that any other history is exactly accurate and reliable. There are four good tests of history. One of the ways you test good history is, was it written by eyewitnesses? You may want to write that on the other side. Eyewitness accounts. Historians, professional historians ask, is this somebody who saw it? My neighbor is a detective, and he's one of the head ones, a man account. And eyewitness testimony is way heavier than circumstantial. It is the prime evidence that people look for, eyewitnesses. if it's secondhand or legend, it gets depreciated. Now the first thing to notice is that most of the Bible was written by eyewitness accounts. Joshua witnessed the fall of the walls of Jericho. You can go there tomorrow and see the walls of Jericho. Anybody want to go? I've been. I've seen. I've poked, I've touched. It's the oldest civilized city known to man. Jericho. You can go there. The disciples saw the resurrected Jesus appearing in the upper room and wrote it down, along with 500 other witnesses. And Paul said, and by the way, you can go and talk to any one of them. Do you want to do that? You go read it in 1 Corinthians 15. Now you'd be pretty much an idiot to say, well you can go talk to the other witnesses if somebody called you bluff. Right? You're not going to expose yourself to that. Go check it out. Matthew was there he wrote it down. John was there he wrote it down. Peter was there and who wrote it down for him because he was a fisherman? Who wrote? Mark. So when you read the book of Mark that is Peter but Mark's writing it down. Dr. Luke talked to all of them including Jesus' mother to collect all of the evidence about what happened and by the way Secular historians say Luke is a first-class historian. First class. I'll we'll, we'll touch on that a little later on. Another test of history by which we know the Bible is accurate is the extreme, I mean extreme, care in which it was copied. Many have heard or thought or had, well, oh, isn't it like the telephone tag type of style? You know, It was accurate at the beginning. Probably it was changed. It was just passed down. Friends, that is so not the facts. Scribes copy exactly. And there's a long list of rules to ensure accuracy. And they had to, it had to be expected. For example, they would copy letter by letter, not word by word. They would test by checking the digits and count up all of the letters, how many A's in there, how many alpha, betas, etc., and they even knew the middle letter of the Old Testament. And if it didn't match up, at it went. Something was wrong. Now a good example of this is in 1947. That's before my time, but not before some of my friends' times. A, a famous discovery is made in the Qumran Caves. You can go there today and see this. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there they found, at that point in time, 800 scrolls. Literal, physical documents. And they included portions of every single Old Testament book apart from Esther at this point in time. But don't forget, they still discover fragments every two or three months. Still new ones. There's thousands of them that haven't been analysed yet. And these were copied between 250 BC and the 1st century. Now, these scrolls are so important. Next slide. That Google. Hmm, Okay. What does that one look like? Yep. That's actually at the university. Where is that one? Yeah, th- no, that's a Google one. That's a Google site. You can go, and you don't have to go there if you don't want to. I love going there. But you can go into the Google site, and you can drill down on many of the scrolls and see it right up close and personal, and it'll actually automatically translate the scrolls as you're moving your cursor across. Amazing. And you can see how accurate it is. It's, it's mind-blowing. Another place, by the way, I told you that they get new scrolls. They uh, they analyze them in the academic Secular universities all the time. There's a one central repository for this in the whole world that every, um, every scholar can go to. Next slide. University of Munster. This is a place where every, there's the very latest, up to date, up to, up to this week's information. You can go there and you can look at that. The University of Munster. That's the central repository. Now, how valuable was this find? Anybody heard of the Albright Scholarships? Albright Scholarships? Okay, W. F. Albright said, who was a great archaeologist, said, this is the greatest manuscript discovery in modern times. Why is that? Well, before these documents, the earliest manuscripts were 1,000 years newer, which in, archeolo- um, in, in archaeological terms isn't that good. But, but it's really easy when you have one copy and then a 1,000 years later, another exact copy, to see how accurately they've been copied, Right? Well, here's the deal. You can go and see the scroll of Isaiah is, for example, one of the examples you can see is 100% accurate with 1,000 years between them. That gave them great confidence, many confirmations. And also, with over 10,000 Old Testament documents, there are many, many, many confirmations of this. So, um, by the way, you can also go to the Shrine of the Book. In the scroll of Isaiah, in the same language today, you'll see the exact copy. Jesus also said, not one... Next slide, please. Okay, there's a scroll of the book, a scroll of the shrine there in Israel. You can go there and you can see the exact copies of the book of Isaiah that they found there. Next one. Next Okay, this is important. Remember Jesus said not one jot or tittle would change, right? Will disappear from my words. Now I want you to notice there that very little slight extension on the horizontal line crossing the vertical line. See how it just goes over a little, a squidgen? Can you see that? Just a little squidgen it goes over. That little extension of the horizontal line, that's how he's talking about. I'm going to show you in this next slide. This next slide shows you, here we are. Here's two... It looks almost identical, right? But notice there, the left-hand leg on that one where the arrow points to says to praise, but look how it's joined in the right-hand side on the far right. That means to profane. They are that fanatical. Now, I'd be a terrible scribe because my writing's terrible. Bella, be a good scribe. Her writing's beautiful. (laughs) I've seen it. It is precise and consistent. That is what they're talking about. Jot or tittle. So, number three. Greater reliability than any other ancient document. You can take this to the bank. You can get a war on this one. There's over 10,000 Old Testament documents close to the time that demonstrate accurate representation of the manuscripts. Here's a pictorial view of this. Take a look at this. That's pretty impressive. So the Old Testament we have 10,000 manuscripts within 150 years. Some of these other ones like Plato they've got they've got seven within 1200 years. So we eat them. Let's go to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's over 5,700 documents closer to the time which demonstrate accuracy of the event. Look at this. 5,000 is actually more than that now. It's just over 5,720 odd, within 25 years of the event. Now let's take something that you probably have read, maybe some of Plato. We've only got seven copies, and that's within, the, the earliest copies within 1,200 years. Of the original event. We eat them, hands down. Homer's Iliad, that's doing within 500 years. We're within 25 years. There's a quantum of difference there. So we have that slide empirically proves most ancient books only have a handful and they're written about a thousand years later. Sir Frederick Kenyon who is a former director of the British Museum and author of paleography of Greek papyri, that's a very specialized field, says this, in no other case, none, zero, is the interval of time between the composition of the book and the date of the earliest manuscript so short as that in the New Testament. They can say that of nothing else. Number four, archaeology always confirms the Bible. And let me say this, eventually. Eventually. There are people and places in the Bible, those ones there, they are fact. Not fiction. How do we know? We've dug them up. We've dug them up. You can go see them. You can go see the Areopagus, where Paul talked with the philosophers of the day. You can go see the Pool of Siloam, you can go see the Herod's temple. It's amazing. He was called Herod the Great because that guy loved to build, man. And boy, did he build. And the Hittites for centuries. I think there's some slides of some of these coming up. Yeah, okay. There's the the Areopagus. Kimberly and I have been there where Paul tackled those guys, you know, with the various statues of to the unknown God. The Paul of Siloam. Next one over there. That's, we've walked through a tunnel near there where he was... Where the blind man was healed, and here is Temple, the Wailing Wall, right? And then the Hittites. Now this is an interesting one. This is a very interesting one. For a long time, skeptics and atheists have said, "Well, they're not mentioned in any other discovery uh, discovered literature," until the second half of the 19th century. And a guy, his exact name was Hugo Winkler, discovered. Oh, nothing. Remember, this is nothing. For nearly 2,000 years, and then all of a sudden, some guy called Hugo Winkler discovers not one, not two, 10,000 tablets at the capital of the Hittites in a library. Now everybody knows. It just takes time to uncover things in archaeology. Luke, again... Was a historian. He mentions just alone fifty-four cities, thirty-nine countries, nine alone, nine islands. They're completely accurate. He even can tell you the depth of the water in certain bays. It's in the Bible. It's in Luke. There are many, many things we could go into. The synagogue. We've been there. Next slide. Mhm. Next. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. We'll go to that. So Mark, and Mark says they went to C- Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue to teach. Next slide. That's where it is. You can go there today. That is the exact place where Jesus, that, that is referring to, where you can speak in his hometown. You can go there today and see it. Now, Nelson Gluick says this, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. World-renowned archaeologist. So, not only is the Bible historically accurate, but archaeology backs up. Number two, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Now, this may intrigue some of you. People who think the Bible is inaccurate scientifically, really, what that means is A, they have never really studied the Bible, they've listened to whatever a bunch of other people have said or two that probably don't know much about science. Now, in my view, the great ambassador for this, our go-to man, you may want to write his name down, is Dr. John Lennox. He's Oxford University mathematics professor. Because the truth is, God sets the laws of science in motion, the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, the laws of mathematics. And his word does not contradict his own laws. Now, let me be clear how we answer this. The Bible was not given as a science textbook and how to build a rocket. It doesn't use scientific language, but it never gives bad science advice. Not once in the 1600 years over which it was written does it give bad science advice. Actually, the Bible is always ahead of science and contemporary views. And there are truths in the Bible that we have just discovered just a few hundred years ago. And I'm going to show you some of those in a second as evidence. Johannes Kepler, who was a great astronomer, any of you done science know that, said this science is thinking God's thoughts after him. In other words, he's already created, we just discover it. So God established the laws of physics and biology and chemistry and science, and we are still to this day, even down to the level of quantum physics, we are still discovering these things. So the reason the Bible is accurate is that the laws of the universe are God laws, so he understands them even though we're still trying to get it. Now, Psalm 148, verse 5. The Bible says this, Let every created thing, in other words, the whole universe, give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command. God set these rules in motion things like the laws of thermodynamics, the laws of physics, and they came into being. He established them forever and forever, and his orders will never be revoked. Now, here's something that may shock some of you. Science constantly changes. And I mean constantly changes. It's quickly obsolete. We could take a look at um, medical views. How many of you in your life have read articles... About something that was supposed to be bad for you and turned out to be okay. Remember the whole palava lava about eggs? Remember that one, or butter? You know, and things that were supposed to be good for you. Now we learn actually cause cancer. I remember in my mum's day, some things that pregnant women, the current science of the day, said you should take to relieve nausea in pregnancy. It wasn't fine at all. It's called thalidomide. Now, our understanding is constantly changing. So much so, anybody been to the, uh, the Louvre in Paris? Okay? okay, when you've been there, you would notice there's a section. You probably skipped it. And it's a, it's a particular section, five kilometers long, if you measure all the shelves, of old, obsolete science textbooks. Now, if you've been reading the Bible 1,000 years ago, what the Bible would have said then would not have matched what the science, the prevailing science of that day said because the science wasn't up to date. I'm going to give you some examples of that that you can consider. And the reason for that, by the way, is God's truth never changes. Now, in 1861, there's a very famous book that came out called 51 incontrovertible proofs that the Bible is scientifically inaccurate. That was in 1861. The only problem is today, 157 years later, not one scientist will believe one of those things in that book. They've all been disproven by science. One evidence that the Bible is not man-made is what the Bible does not say. If this were a human book, you would expect... It to be filled with the scientific almost superstitions of that day. But they're not. They're not in the book. For example. Example number one. For thousands of years, people believed. Oh, don't get me started. That the earth is flat. Don't even get me started on that. (laughs) But it wasn't until Copernicus and Galileo and Columbus realized that the world's not flat. Now... You would expect, if this was a man-written book, that it would include that the Earth is flat, because it was in existence and being written during those thousands of years when everybody thought the Earth was flat. But there's not a single verse in the Bible that says the Earth is flat. In fact, it says the exact opposite. Notice this: 2,600 years ago. That's a long time. Isaiah said, "God is enthroned above the sphere." Of the earth not flat the sphere of the earth 2,000 years ago the Bible said that the earth was round it was a circle and God said it because it was true whether anybody believed it in that day or not he said nah 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 it's a sphere so for thousands of years people believed it had to also be held up do you know that by something, and it depended upon your culture. Now the Greeks, thousands of years ago, believed a giant named Atlas. But you won't find Atlas in the Bible, because it's not true. It's a bunch of junk. Even though it was written in Greek, the New Testament. huh? So why isn't Atlas in there? And here, let's go further. Thousands of years Hindus believed giant elephants held up the earth on their backs. And every time it moved, that was an earthquake. I'm just telling you, you can go check it out. That was the prevailing culture of the day, the scientific thinking. And then, oh, it's worse. The elephant stood in the back of turtles, and the turtles stood in the back of this cosmic serpent that was swimming through this cosmic sea. Do you find that in the Bible? Nuh-uh. But that was the prevailing thinking at the time. You'd have thought it would have made its way into the Bible if it was man-made. But it's not in the Bible, why? Because the Bible's true. The Bible leaves out lies. See, what about Moses? Moses was schooled in the arts and the sciences of the Egyptians. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, the best university in the land. He had his fees all paid, of course. He was taught the prevailing Egyptian science of the day, yet none of that is in the Bible. Notice that? Now Egyptians were brilliant, brilliant at building pyramids and architecture and engineering and astronomy, but they were dead wrong on what they thought held up the earth. They thought five pillars held up the earth, not in the Bible, not written by man. Job 26, God stretches the sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. How in the world did Job know that? And by the way, Job was the first book to be written. The the Bible, some of you are raising your eyebrows what you see is not necessarily the chronological order. There are books that you can get, Bibles that are written chronological order being reorganized. How did Joe you know that? Everybody in that day knew the earth was flat and on the back of pillars knew, right? But it's not in the Bible. Why? Because only the Bible always tells the truth. Number three. The third thing that we thought about under this subheading, is the number of stars could be counted. This is a dissertation done in 150 BC. Yeah, you still had to do dissertations then, Bronte. 150 BC. Hipparchus' dissertation. He proudly announced to the then-known world that there were 1,022 stars in the whole universe. 1,022. But the Bible doesn't say that. And then three years later, uh, three hundred years later, a guy called Ptolemy concluded, no, 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 he got it wrong. There were four more, 1,026. <laughs> That's what he thought. That was a prevailing scientific community. Yet 2,600 years ago, now it's widely accepted that there are more stars than grains of sand. In fact, in Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-two, this is what the Bible says on the other hand. As the hosts of heaven cannot be numbered. You can't number that It said. You're wasting your time. The sands of the sea cannot be measured. Now I could go through many other areas, biology, chemistry, and, oh, actually, I need to segue into this because it's a favorite topic of conversation in our house, medicine. Oh boy. Many, many years ago, people believed, up until very recently, that too much blood was bad for you. And they felt that you must bleed people to, to keep them alive and make them healthy. And actually doctors would cut you to release blood, sorry if some of you get a bit queasy, to help them get better. So much so, this is not a long time ago, 1799 a certain president died. What was his name? George Washington. You know why? The doctors of that day took out 40% of his blood volume. It's so a wonder he was in hyperbolic shock. This is not long ago. 40% of his blood today, we give people blood to get them well. It's exactly the opposite. So thousands of years before this crazy phenomenon, the Bible said this. Leviticus 17, 8, 11. The life of every creature is in the blood. Your blood's not good, you're in trouble. We didn't even know that blood circulated until t- 1628. That's how much we're still catching up. When William Harvey figured it out, they should have just read the Bible. How did Moses know that, eh? And then number five, during the Middle Ages, all on, on, on the medical area, that's not number five in your outline, it's a sub point here. During the Middle Ages, get this, 25% of all of Europe was wiped out. Gomberger. 25%. They died of the bubonic plague because we didn't even understand germs and contagion and infection. They didn't know the value of quarantining the sick. Well, they should have read the Bible because long before science discovered germs, and this is the verse, by the way, I sent to Joshua this week. (laughs) Leviticus 13.4, put an infected person in quarantine. (laughs) Yes, he says, yeah, for seven days. And Joshua goes, what? Seven days? I said, yeah, seven days. (laughs) God said, here's how you take care of infected people. This is thousands and thousands of years ago. People who get sick. Put them outside the camp for seven days. And if they're still sick, keep them out there for another seven days. Quarantine them. We used to do that when we had four kids. Well, we still do have four kids, but when they're living at home. One got sick. Would my wife, being a nurse, would separate them so they wouldn't infect the rest of the household? They'd have their own separate cups and knives and forks, and they would be washed very carefully. So God was right. The Bible is always scientifically accurate and ahead of science. That's what the Bible says in Psalm thirty. Excuse me, Proverbs thirty-five. Every word of God is flawless. Ours aren't, but His are. In fact, it's more accurate. More than accurate, it's pure and it's perfect because Psalm 12.6 says, the words of the Lord are flawless. I love flawless. Like silver, refined in a furnace of clay and purified seven times. So we know we can trust the Bible because it's historically accurate and it's scientifically accurate. Number three, it is prophetically accurate. That means whatever the Bible says will come true. You can take this home. Now the Bible is filled with Thousands of prophecies in vivid detail. Thousands where God says this will happen in this way and the exact time and the exact name. Do you know it even predicts the uh, the year Jesus would be born and be crucified? Events that happen just as God said. Some, by the way, are yet to be fulfilled. There's over three hundred about the first coming of Jesus, where he'd be born, how he'd be born. Blah, blah, blah. You didn't choose where you are going to be born. How we would die. Now, a thousand years before Jesus came, David describes what the death by crucifixion would be like. Even the price that Judas would be given for the betrayal, which was 30 pieces of silver, and what it instead would be spent on, and it names it Potter's Field. How could he have known? How could David have known back then? Because God told them. What are the odds of every one of them coming to pass? Well, 300 is just ridiculous. So just eight. Those of you who do math, I want to just point you to a paper by Professor Peter Stoner. It's been reviewed by the American Scientific Affiliation. And he says the odds of just just eight out of the 300, just eight, is one in 10 to the minus 17. The Bible says this, No prophecy ever originated from humans. Instead it was given by the Holy Spirit as humans spoke under God's direction. Now let me tell you very clearly. There was one job you did not want in the Old Testament. And that was a job of a prophet. You had to be 100% accurate. You were wrong once. You were stoned. Nobody wanted this job. That's some sort of quality control, right? <laughs> Jesus said this, Matthew twenty uh, six fifty six. But all this is happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scripture. It's a fascinating study for you to do. To go back and look at some of these, what they were said, and what happened. Just like God predicted it's coming true. And then Revelation 22.6, says this, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place ahead of time. He knows what's going to happen ahead of time. It is prophetically accurate, and the odds of all these prophecies coming to pass is astronomical. good book I'd recommend here is my friend Harold Saylor's book, How You Can Have Confidence in the Bible. Great. He summarizes a lot of this. Four, it's thematically unified. What do I mean by that? The Bible... Is one message about Jesus from beginning to end on redemption. Jesus is the star of the Bible. And next week we'll talk a little bit more about that. Well, what's so amazing about that? Well, here's what's amazing about that. There are 66 books in God's holy word written by 40 different authors. Over 1,600 years, on three continents that's a disparate bunch in three different languages Hebrew Greek and Aramaic I have a question how do you think they all got the same story when they didn't even know each other people from all sorts of lives there were farmers there were kings there were soldiers and shepherds and tax collectors and priests And historians and scholars and doctors and businessmen. In all kinds of locations from caves to ships to palaces to prisons to deserts. You couldn't get a more diverse group of people. And yet they make one book with one story. If I today was to come up here with a whole bunch of colored paper. Different colors. And and then give it to you and, and, and get you to randomly sort of like... Just tear it any way that you wanted. What are the odds of that coming together and forming a perfectly formed picture of New Zealand? It would be ridiculously low. It It would be incredible. But the Bible is more than that. It was many places, many people, many centuries. It all fits together with one theme. It's all about Jesus. Luke 24, 27 says this. Beginning with Moses, that's the first five books, what we call the Pentateuch and all the prophets, that's the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. See, all that was about Jesus. Don't miss that. Some people think the New Testament is about Jesus, and the Old Testament is about Israel. Wrong. Very wrong. The theme of the entire Bible is God's plan of redemption in Jesus. The pictures, the metaphors, the analogies, and the star of the stories. You can see them in every book. John 5.39 says, You search the Scriptures because you believe they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. That's what the Scriptures are pointing to, him. If you miss that, you missed everything. Remember, the New Testament hasn't been written when you said this. You're talking about the Old Testament here. All the Scriptures point in the Old Testament to Him. And the fifth way we know we can trust the Bible is the Word of God, is it was confirmed by Jesus. Jesus trusted the Scriptures. He trusted the Bible. He proclaimed the Bible as a unique book above all others. Matthew 5.18 said this, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of that pen, remember that one that we saw, will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Here's the logic. Jesus trusts the Bible. When Jesus says every word and sentence in the Bible is true, I believe every word and sentence in the Bible is true because I trust Jesus. I trust the Bible. He believed in the prophets. Next slide. Yeah, he believed in the prophets in Matthew. There it is, Matthew 22. He talked about Noah. You can go back and read these. He believed in a literal Adam and a literal Eve. So do I. There's a lot of talk going on right now about the mitochondrial Adam and Eve, even in secular sources. He believed in Sodom and Gomorrah, so do I. You can go see the place. One of my friends is digging at Sodom and has been there for the last 13 years. He believed in Jonah. Remember? So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Augustine said this, and it's a great uh, great quote. If you believe in the Bible, what you like, and you don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that that you trust, it's yourself. Number six, it survived all attacks. The Bible is the most despised, the most derided, denied, disputed, and debated and outlawed book and destroyed book ever in the history of mankind. You take a Bible in North Korea, you're likely to be arrested and killed. I just even just this weekend, I was reading in some of my sources that in China now, the Communist Party in a particular province – in China, this week, are asking that churches take down pictures, not no, you should have pictures of Jesus Christ, and put um, pictures of the Communist Party leader there. This week. The Bible has been inspiration for huge amounts of music. Think about that. And art. Think about all the great choruses and the art history and the architecture and history. And by the way, most of the English language that you and I speak today, has been heavily influenced by the King James Bible. And if Wayne was here, who's a professor of Japanese, he would tell you the same. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. One more scripture here in 1 Peter 24. The grass withers and the flowers fall. That's temporary stuff, just wilts. Even that you see around you will pass away. It'll just wilt. But the Word of God stands forever and the reason for that is truth will always be truth whether I believe it or not doesn't affect the truth one iota the truth will always be the truth so what God says is moral yesterday is going to be moral today and will be moral in the future what God says is immoral back then is going to be immoral today is going to be immoral in the future it's not my choice he is God and you are not But God gives you and I total freedom to rebel against him your entire life. But then you can't run anymore. Sorry, you're going to come face to face with him whether you believe in him or not. All the I don't believe in him is not going to stop that from happening. The truth is at some point you're going to meet him face to face. And when I ignore what God has said in His inspired, inerrant, infallible world, you know, I don't like that part. I only hurt myself. I do not hurt God. I only hurt myself. The seventh one, and probably the dearest one to me, that I have personally seen the most amazing changes in people's lives is this. It has transforming power. Nothing can change lives like God's Word, the Bible. Your life has been changed by many of you in here. I saw my dad, a drunk. After years of addiction to alcoholism, get his life clean and sober. I saw my brother, 14 years a heroin addict, Go from a hopeless case which nobody could help him. Not mum, not me, not Mike, no one. It's like going down a greased, slippery pole straight to hell. Nobody could help him. I've seen self centered, all about me men who have abused women and been pathetic, derelict fathers being transformed into godly, caring, generous husbands and amazing fathers. What happened? John 8.31 says, if, if you continue, now notice that word, continue, in my word, then you are my disciples. That is one of the proofs. You are really a fully devoted follower of Jesus because you continue in his word. And then you are my disciples indeed. And you then shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God wants you to be free. I want you to be free. The enemy of your soul does not. Many secular universities, I've noticed, have taken the second half of that verse and they'll slap it on their, in stone on their buildings. The truth shall make you free, but they forget the first part of the verse. Be careful about taking verses out of context. The most important question you're going to be asked in this life is this, is what will be your authority for your life? What will be the authority for your life? And you need to decide that. And I recommend you decide today. Is it going to be the word of God or is it going to be the world? Am I going to listen to what God says or public opinion or my feelings? Who or what will be my authority? God or me? If I say, well, I don't really accept that book, it's not that I can't, it's that I don't want to accept what it says. Because I want to be boss, and I don't want God telling me what's right and wrong, what I can do and what I can't do, what's moral and what's immoral. I want to do it my way. I want to be my own God. Now, to rebel against God, I figure is not too smart because your arms are too short to box God. You're going to lose. So the big question is this. Why is the authority and the inerrancy of God's word so important? Here's why. Because my salvation and your salvation depends upon that. The word of God tells us, as we wrap this up, that God made you to love you. That is, you can be forgiven if you confess your sin. Your past can be forgiven, you can have a purpose for living, and you can have a home in heaven. The Bible is a book of hope and tells you how to get there. In Romans twelve two, last scripture says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That means the opinions of this world. That means the, uh, the attitudes of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you're either conformed to the way the world thinks or you're transformed by the truth of God's word. Then you're able to test and approve what God's good will is, whether it's um, good, pleasing, and perfect. So God's plan for you is good, pleasing, and perfect. But you're only going to find out about it in the perfect Word of God. Let's pray. I want you to settle this issue today. To accept the Bible as the flawless, inerrant Word of God, as the final authority for your life. Because if you don't, then you're basically trying to make it on your own opinions and your own wisdom. And you're setting yourself up as the authority with all knowledge and all wisdom. And that seems to me to be flawed. Would you say, dear God, from this day forward, I will accept your word, the Bible, as flawless to me. And I will make it the final authority in my life even when I don't understand it, it's not convenient or popular, Or easy. Or, I just don't like it. You're God and I am not. Thank you for loving me enough to speak to me through your word. Thank you that you're not silent. Lord, I want to learn more about your word. In fact, more than that, I want to love and enjoy your word. And finally, Lord, I want your word to live out in my life. In your matchless name I pray. Amen.